0: Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so this Tuesday, of course, January 6th, is the 12th day of Christmas, the Feast of Epiphany. And I've always thought it was fortuitous that on that day we meet these three strange, wise men from the east. At a time of the year when we're all making our New Year's resolutions, determined to become thinner, smarter, kinder, and soberer. We know next to nothing about the Magi, certainly a lot less than we pretend to know. We pretend to know that they traveled by camelback from the Far East to Bethlehem, but Scripture in the New Testament mentions no camels. And some renderings, for instance, on the cover of this morning's bulletin, show them on horseback. We pretend to know that there were three of them, but that's just a guess based on the number of gifts they brought to the baby Jesus. There might have been two or 20. We pretend to know their names. Melchior, an old man with white hair and flowing beard, Balthazar, middle-aged and black as pitch, and Gaspar, young, beardless, and Asian. The day of Epiphany, you see, which means the manifestation of the Lord, the revealing of God's very self to all of humanity. Every race, every color, every culture, every faith will kneel in Bethlehem to offer gifts and oblations to the newborn king. We don't even know exactly what the wise men did for a living. Artistic renderings, again, the image on the cover of the bulletin, show them with royal headgear, like silky turbans or crowns. But this is a supposition imported from the Old Testament passage that Joe read a moment ago from the prophet Isaiah who'd promised 500 years before Jesus, arise, shine, for your light has come, nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Matthew doesn't actually mention any kings. Matthew calls them magi, an old Persian word which needs no translation. You know where the English words magic and magician come from. English translations from the King James to the New Revised Standard Version in your pews most commonly render the word magi as wise men, which is not the oxymoron. Some women think it to be for Christmas, someone gave us a ceramic plaque which reads, if there had been three wise women, they would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, brought practical gifts, and there would be peace on earth. <laughs> Maybe, but will let that pass for a moment. It's always helped me to see these Persian dignitaries as a combination of the Greek magi and the English wise men. That is to say, they were sort of a cross between astrologers and astronomers, between magicians and scientists. They were full, healthy human beings exercising both halves of their brain. I see them as NASA astrophysicists who read both the journal Nature and the National Enquirer, for the horoscopes, of course. They spend their working shifts behind the eyepieces of gigantic observatories with thick, perfect lenses wide-open apertures to catch tiny pinpricks of light from the farthest reaches of the universe, or polishing the miraculous mirrors of the Hubble telescope, or landing robots on Mars or on comets, or detonating missiles on the surface of the moon to see if there's any water there or hurling hydrogen protons at nearly the speed of light down tracks that are 16 miles around and smashing them into each other to see what interesting stuff will happen at the CERN particle accelerator in Geneva. But then, at the end of the working day, they head to the local tavern and introduce themselves to the comely blonde at the other end of the bar by saying, "'Hi, I'm a Sagittarius. What's your sign?' That's what these magi are when they saw that odd, brilliant, stellar phenomenon in the western sky. You know, what was it? A comet? A supernova exploding? The confluence of Saturn and Jupiter? We don't know. But when they saw this gleaming luminescence ablaze in the western sky, they just knew that someone or something from among or beyond the galaxies was trying to get their attention. And so off they hoofed the 600 miles across trackless desert waste to that tiny hick town of Bethlehem. You know what they were? They were the linear ancestors of Coop and Murph from Interstellar. Have you seen this film, Interstellar, about Cooper, a former NASA astronaut and his 10-year-old daughter, Murphy? The earth is dying, and someone needs to find a new home for the human race. And strange things begin to happen in Murph's bedrooms. Books leap inexplicably off the shelves. And the dust in the rooms begins to arrange itself into shapely symmetries. And 10-year-old Murph thinks it's a ghost. But her father Cooper eventually figures out that someone or something from among or beyond the galaxies is trying to get our attention. They, he calls them they. They're trying to speak to us. They're trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us the way home. Who's they? I'll skip the big reveal for those of you who haven't seen it yet. Turns out not to be God, but it is someone from beyond or among the distant galaxies. And they most certainly turn out to be a Messiah. And Cooper is off on his harrowing interstellar adventure. Long before Coop and Murph and NASA, the Magi had their own harrowing interstellar adventure. It almost cost them their lives when they ask for direction at King Herod's palace. What a stupid thing to do. You never ask the old king where the new king is going to be born. But I love running smack dab into these Magi the first week of January every year. I mean... Think about who these guys were. They were faculty members in the astrophysics department at the University of Babylon, and they had tenure. They had published rather than perished. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more settled and complacent and self-satisfied than an academic with tenure. There is nothing more comfortable than knowing that you can never be fired for any reason except if you abscond with a million-dollar grant from the Ford Foundation or start sleeping with a graduate student. Otherwise, you're safe. Why make this 600-mile journey to something new? Maybe it was the crucial awareness that they weren't finished yet, that they didn't know everything they needed to know, that they hadn't heard everything that God was trying to tell them. They didn't know everything there was to know and that there was yet more meaning and mystery and magic beneath the cold, hard facts. You know who Max Planck is, don't you? Max Planck was born in Germany in 1858 into a long line of professors and theologians. As a child, he was an accomplished musician. He could sing, he could play the piano and the organ, the cello, he composed operas. But he was also mathematically brilliant, so he decided to study physics. To the consternation of his family and his academic advisors, they said to him, why would you go into a field where nothing has happened since Isaac Newton? The whole field is nailed down tight. We know everything there is to know about physics, they told Max Planck. As a professor at the University of Berlin around the turn of the 20th century, he was doing boring research on light and heat and matter. And over in the States, of course, Thomas Edison had finally figured out a way to make practical electric lighting. And the University of Berlin thought Professor Planck might help Germany make a killing in the lighting industry. But he starts messing around with atoms. And he starts tugging on a loose thread in the fabric of electromagnetic theory. And before he's finished, he's discovered quantum theory and upends the whole field of physics. Now we know that we don't know everything there is to know in the field of physics. We know next to nothing. Nobody knows what's happening in the world of physics at the most elemental level. In order to be a scientist today like Max Planck and like those magi, you have to be a magician too. Don't you think that the magi who traveled those 600 miles from their comfortable endowed chairs at the University of Babylon to the hick town of Bethlehem in search of magic, mystery, and meaning are lineal ancestors to Kirk Coop and Murph and Max Planck who kept tugging at loose threads and asking their silly childish questions because to them the world doesn't look all neat and tidy and sewed up tight? Well, so what, right? I'm not an astrophysicist, are you? So what? Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Science isn't finished yet. Knowledge isn't finished yet. You aren't finished yet. Maybe this is a sermon for someone in the middle of life. Maybe there's, this is a sermon for someone who's 50 years old somebody who's reached a plateau in life and is wondering what to do next. There's somebody here who is bored and tired of life itself. George Bernard Shaw said, most people die when they're 30 but get buried when they're 70. Yes? There's somebody here who thinks he's mastered his craft There's somebody here who thinks she's finished with her exploration into the self or the spirit or God. There is somebody here who needs to go back to school to learn a new craft and start over again. There's somebody here who needs to pull the plug on a dying and dysfunctional relationship. There is somebody here who needs to euthanize a shameful prejudice there is somebody here who needs to stop nursing an ancient grudge against someone she used to love over something they've both long forgotten. It's a new year. It's the season of epiphany, the revealing of God's very essence to all of humanity. Bring your gifts to Bethlehem and then go home by another way People like you and me never grow old, wrote Albert Einstein to a friend late in life. We never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery into which we were born. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.